0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. Pacific Gas and Electric, the beleaguered California utility at the center of the wildfire phenomenon, has turned to the Argonne National Laboratory for help. PG&E is looking for small area weather and climate models that can help it make plans on a regional scale. Here with how the arrangement works, Argonne's chief scientist and head of its Department of Atmospheric Science and Climate Research, Dr. Raul Codomarthy. Dr. Codomarthy, good to have you on.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the invitation to talk to you.
0: So I didn't realize that a private entity like PG&E could come to Argonne and enter into an arrangement for research. Tell us how this works, and is it something that you do regularly?
1: Yeah, it is fairly common for us to work with private sector partners. These kinds of collaborations range from like, access to user facilities, such as the Advanced Photon Source at Argonne, high-performance computing facilities, to projects like ours. So the laboratory is for public good and supporting fundamental research into energy and supporting the energy infrastructure. So we do whatever we can to help. We are encouraged to work with private sector partners to share our knowledge and some of the inventions that we make at the laboratory so that it is made available for public and private industry and startups.
0: And PG&E is paying for this work.
1: Yes, it supports effort that my staff spends on it. Yes, it is paid
0: for that. Sure. And it sounds like that you will come up with a piece of intellectual property here, say, a way of directing climate models to smaller areas than simply whole nations or whole states. And will that belong to PG&E? It sounds like something that could be deployed throughout the world, really, for entities that have an interest in localized climate conditions. Uh,
1: yes. So this particular project is based entirely on open science research we have developed the tools and data sets used for this research in peer reviewed journals and articles that we have done over the last several years. And hence, there is no IP issue for this particular project. This type of projects go through screening process to identify any such issues and gets cleared by the laboratory and DOE. In case there is an IP issue, things like development or testing of some new technology, there will be agreements in place for dealing with IP before a contract is set out. But this particular research is actually we are using... The data set we have developed previously for an application for trying to understand the, and help PG&E to develop better strategies for dealing with it as the climate is changing. Now, we don't have any IP issues in this in this project. It's actually all based on open science.
0: And what is it they're trying to figure out exactly here? What What is the essential problem you're helping them solve?
1: So... we were asked to check six different indicators of wildfire that pg and e uses regularly to find out how these things will change into the future so they have a protocol when they track these six fire indicators and whenever they one of them exceeds or several of them exceed they go into high alert mode and try to figure out how to combat that so what they wanted to know is these six indicators that we are using right now will they be changing into something that is are there any projections into the future that we can use to better prepare our infrastructure for these changes. So these kind of changes would be like how dry will the soil get, will the wind speeds of direction of wind change in the future, condition in the atmosphere that drive particular types of weather patterns that are conducive to wildfire, and how they may change by mid-century. So that's pretty much what we are asking is how these typical fire indicators that PG&D uses right now change as we go into the future.
0: And the models that you have then, these are developed from data that comes from the weather types of agencies?
1: So the model itself is very high resolution in the sense that we can resolve North America around 12 kilometers, but grid South, which is a climate model does it at 100 kilometers, so it's about 10 times higher resolution. It requires a lot of high computing, so the data for that comes from, for the current climate, we use current weather, of course, we do for the last ten years, we take the weather conditions for the last ten years to drive these models. When we do in the future, we actually use the climate models. There are maybe about forty different climate models around the world. So we pick a few of them, providing the conditions outside North America so we can do a very high resolution simulation within North America. So they take into things like how would the greenhouse gases change in the future There are different scenarios for that, uncertainties in physics, but we don't understand some of the physics, so how how do we account for that and things like that. It it gives you a projection into the future. Essentially, when you're doing a climate simulation, you're looking at scenarios of how this will evolve into the future. So it gives you an idea of how these scenarios will evolve. So essentially, you're projecting into the future. And then, of course, when you do some kind of projection, you want to understand what uncertainty in these projections is.
0: We're speaking with dr Rao Kotamarthi. he's chief scientist and head of the Department of Atmospheric Science and Climate Research at Argonne National Laboratory and are you able to develop any specific options for a place like pg and e that is to say when they understand what's going to happen say yeah. it 's going to get drier here or windier there what do they do about it
1: so it's an interesting problem right now most of the private industry in the u s is trying to figure out how to They account for climate change in their plants. So this is probably the initial phase. People are trying to figure out, is is the data itself useful for me to make a decision, right? If the data says that the incidence will change by two or three, it is 10 now, it could be 11 or 12. And the uncertainty on that is 30%. So how much of a credence should I give to that, and how much money should I be spending to that? So they're trying to understand this entire projections and uncertainties in them and how it affects their business plans. For example, for, for PG&E, they were really interested in something called the Diablo Wind. I think the Diablo is a mountain in California. And uh, the winds come from northeast. So that is one of the biggest indicators of whenever they see this Diablo Wind uh, over some threshold. They do have a good idea that this is going to lead to wildfires, especially in the north and central parts of California. And we have been looking at the incident of these fires, uh, of these winds, uh, how the intensity is changing, how the frequency is changing, how the duration of this is changing into the future. Into the, future. the idea being that if you can develop some statistics of how these are changing into the future, maybe uh, there could be some of the data set that will be helpful in planning. Let's say right now the Diablo winds are mostly around the coastal part of Northern California. Maybe they move a little closer to the mountains. What kind of uh, action should we take now so that we can do better planning for the future? So these are the kinds of questions they are asking. And at this level, at this time, the idea is to just be aware of these things and start planning. I'm not yet sure how the industry will actually implement this into their future activities Uh, how it will affect investment decisions. So this is all part of the uh, idea that we have to adapt to changing climate. Even if you do mitigation, there is this big need for adapting to changing climate. How do we go about doing that? This is a challenge and also a need. And uh, we're trying different things, and this is like maybe getting closer to generating the kind of data maybe the industry can actually start using in their spreadsheets and stuff like that. Sure. So that they can look at it in their in 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 terms of cost, right? It, it's a whole idea is that essentially at some point they have to figure out how much it costs and how how much action can they can take.
0: Yeah. yeah. My question then is, what do they do over time once you are done with the research and you come up with a refreshed model, say, for them to use? This has to be yeah. deployed, I would think, and the models run on an yeah. ongoing basis. And so will they be able to have the ability to yeah. take what they get from Argonne and perhaps use it themselves to yeah. keep an ongoing prediction of what they need to know?
1: Yeah, I think the whole idea is that they mostly look at current weather. So if we can build these trends of how this will change in the future... They can build it into their models so that they are looking at, let's say, 20 years from they are putting some of the wires underground or something like that. Where do they should prioritize? Maybe that will help them decide those things. So these are the decisions that will be made by industry, and they're trying to figure out those pathways. And I think the kind of data we are developing will help them do that.
0: And do you have a separate set of data and algorithms and models and so forth for not so much wildfire, but for, say, flooding, which might affect Utilities elsewhere?
1: So, what we have done at Argonne, and uh, several other people have done around the world too, so I don't want to take all the credit for this. But what we have done is is that we have developed a really high spatial resolution climate data for North America. It's a process called downscaling. And we did that a few years ago. To do this, uh, so we have simulations for the current decade, like let's say recent past, mid century and end of the century, we do different greenhouse gas emission scenarios, like I said before. So this in total has about 300 individual years and about five petabyte of data for, for performing the analysis. So there's a large data set from that we can extract almost all kinds of meteorological variables, wind, uh, precipitation, fire, and other things, temperatures from which we can calculate things like a fire index. So the fire index is one derived product from the climate model simulations we did. We do additional calculations to do that. So similarly, we have to do flooding. We have done flooding, too, at a really high resolution. So because we have precipitation and other things at every three hours, we run a separate flood model at very high resolutions for calculating flooding intensities, for example, both coastal and inland flooding. So that will be helpful for infrastructure that is affected by flood. So this particular PG&D, for example, is very interested in fires, obviously. So the, the, the whole idea of a fire is that you develop an index, and the index tells you if the number is very high, you have a potential for fire. So you see sometimes in the west they give you a fire potential index is high, it's yellow, red, and things like that. Essentially, those can end up indices. So you want to calculate those indices for current and future climate and see how they are varying, which parts of North America, for example, may become more fire-prone in the future and things like that. So risk analysis in some sense, once you've done all these calculations, you're doing risk of flooding, fire, and things like that. And based on that, then uh, industry or, or government can take action on Considering the risk and the uncertainty in calculating the risk.
0: Yeah, so the main worry we have now yeah, is that the right. power stays on at Argonne so that you can help everybody else.
1: <laughs> and the computer keeps running. All right. <laughs> they buy a bigger computer, that's all. <laughs> all
0: right. Dr. Rao Kotamarthi is Chief Scientist <laughs> and Head of the Department of Atmospheric Science and Climate Research at Argonne National Laboratory. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you. Welcome.
0: We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
1: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you've entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person